This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, two things I experienced this weekend that have led me to where we are today, meaning this very place, this very time, this very hour. It's interesting because obviously there's a lot of very serious things happening in the world. And I follow a bunch of podcasts, a lot of video podcasts, a lot of YouTube channels of a lot of great thinkers that I turn to from time to time to see what they're saying about different affairs. So I turn on this one uh, podcast that I follow, and the person gives a little bit of a dissertation on the situation in the Middle East, and he says something to the effect of, oh, but the the media is too busy telling you uh, who Taylor Swift is dating and what Beyonce Knowles is up to. And I thought to myself, well, what a jerk I am, because I do spend some time talking about pop culture issues, talking about societal issues, to talking about some of the lighter issues in the news regarding all this other stuff. And I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I shouldn't do anything but talk about these very heavy, weighty issues that clearly a lot of folks have on their mind. And then my wife and I... We're driving out to Long Island for a family function yesterday, and the radio was tuned to this station. And immediately, there's a lot of discussion about uh, what's happening in the Middle East and Israel and Gaza. My wife runs, well, as much as you can run while you're seated in a car that and driving. She moves quickly to change the channel, and she says, I just can't. She says, I cannot keep being depressed for an hour and a half drive and hearing about how awful the world is. I know the world is awful and I need a little bit of a break. So my hope is that a lot of you feel the same way as my wife does and that you need a break. If there's any breaking news over the course of the next four hours, believe me, we're going to bring it to you first. We're going to bring it to you uh, in a manner that I think is responsible and interesting but if you need a break from hearing about children being killed and uh, terrorism and uh, all the horrible things happening in Israel and in the Gaza Strip right now, you are in luck because I have persuaded to return to this program a man who is a happiness expert. I don't know that there's a certification in that field, but if there is, believe me, Jeffrey Gurian has it. Jeffrey Gurian is a comedy writer, a stand-up comic, a host, an author, a producer, a director, and a former dentist. Jeffrey, it is great to see you again. Frank, it is always a treat to be on with you. Really, there's no one else that I'd rather stay up late with than you, well, that's and that's kind. the truth. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I Even if it's not true, I appreciate you it saying it anyway. Truth. You know, it's funny, Jeffrey, 
Rudy Giuliani went on Saturday Night Live right after September 11th, and he kind of rallied not only New York, but the country to New York's cause and what was going on. And Lorne Michaels, the head of Saturday Night Live, said to Rudy Giuliani, is it okay to be funny again? And Mayor Giuliani had that great line, why start now? But I I do feel (laughs) like a lot of folks sort of feel the way I did when I was listening to that podcast, that maybe you should feel a little guilty by laughing and having a good time and enjoying yourself on the radio while there are so many people suffering in the world. As a guy that knows a thing or two about pulling people out of despondent moods, can you give us some sort of blessing or permission to have fun and laugh and be happy again while people are dying and and fighting and losing their lives and some people are kidnapped in the Middle East. Well, I'll tell you the truth. It's a struggle for everyone, and it's a struggle for me as an empath. I feel people's pain. I feel feel more than I wanted to, which is why I became so engrossed in happiness and writing books about happiness because I've had to struggle with it my entire life. When you feel things so deeply, you're affected by the weather, by color, by the people in the room, by everything around you. Hearing this kind of news on a day-to-day basis, I can't help but listen, and I don't want to listen. I have to turn it on, and I don't want to turn it on. Comedy for me is a great outlet. The, the, the comedy clubs are filled with people who were there because they need to laugh. Now more than ever, because every place you look, there's something negative, and you don't know whether you're even getting the truth. You know, I listen to a certain station... I listen to WABC and I listen to Newsmax and I feel like I get a balanced report. I get the truth. Mm. When I turn on other stations by accident, I, I hear what other people are getting and I know why they're not informed. There are people, I was talking to a young person recently who didn't know about Hunter Biden's laptop. Never heard of it. Right. Well, yeah. Never heard of it. Uh, uh, now, I, uh, I, there definitely, we all live in our own bubbles. Uh, but beyond the editorial content, what can you say to people that, you know, about that makes them feel not guilty about laughing for an hour instead of watching bombs exploding in the Middle East? Well, because the alternative is horrible. We would all be in our, in our rooms crying. If, if we didn't do that, we have to try and lead some semblance of a normal life. And I think the people in those areas are doing the same thing. The people in Israel are trying to be very upbeat. I have friends there and they write to me and they're telling me what's going on. And people are trying their best in certain areas to lead a so-called normal life. Um, again, there's... <laughs> We, ha- we have no alternative, Frank. What can we do? If, right. I, if I was to dwell on it, you know, I cut out this article and it says 70, 77% of Americans are engaging in addictive behavior to cope with mental health issues due to stress. 77% of people, people are so stressed out. They don't know what to yeah, do. It's true. Every it- place you turn, there's something horrible happening. You know, we don't know what's happening with... The government, the border is open. Uh, or, I mean, just uh, Mayor Adams. Me, you don't have to give me the litany <laughs> of, uh, well, of so things that are wrong. I got to meet wrong. Mayor Adams. I had a feeling I was going to meet this guy eventually, and I wanted to talk to him. Not, you know, egotistically. What am I going to say to him that's mm-hmm. going to change anything? You know, I mean, like it, w- it would be very ego-driven to think I could say something. But he said to me, 
you look like the kind of guy that we should share a cigar together sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was cool. You know, and I, I've actually shared a cigar with him, and he's yeah. actually a delightful companion as far as uh, as far as chatting and uh, cigars go, and a that, great suit. Yeah, that's it, it, no reflection <laughs> on his mayoralty, no, though. No, believe me. No, uh, for sure. uh, you know, it's funny, Jeffrey. I happened to on uh, Friday night after my, you know, I'm on a weird schedule on the weekend because I'm nocturnal yeah. during the week, and then I try to go back to a conventional schedule on the weekend. So I end up staying up later than my wife does usually on Friday or and Saturday night, or sometimes I'll just get up super early and so i end up watching a lot of these wrestling documentaries because mm-hmm. i'm a, a fan of uh, classic pro wrestling and sure enough there's this documentary that it's been it's taken me five times to finish it on mick foley a terrific wrestler oh, and he's a stand-up comic too. Well, he's a friend so of mine sure yeah. enough yeah. They get to the portion of the documentary uh, focusing on his stand-up comedy career. Who's in the documentary? You are. Oh, really? And, yeah, oh. I, I'm. I'm sitting there three o'clock in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, uh, trying to get myself in a drowsy state of mind again. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm and you and I had just talked, and I said, oh my, Jeffrey Green is in this documentary. Am I dreaming? And sure enough, it, it, you I, you were in it, and I was not dreaming. But that's the case when it came to the Bill Murray documentary. It, it, you're Robin the go-to Williams. expert on <laughs> comedy, comedy history, the craft of comedy. One question I have for yeah. you, though, yeah. is a lot of comedians, especially these days, yeah. they not only feel the need to be political, but their entire act is political. I mean, whether they're conservative like Dennis Miller, whether they're progressive like Mark Marin, whether they're uh, generally left-wing but swerve every such uh, every so often like Bill Maher. Do you get political in your act? Never. Never. I don't and that's do anything a concerted strategy on your part. It's not funny to me. Right. I, and I don't do therapy on stage either. A lot of comics get up and they talk about the most intimate things. Talk about Mark Marin. The first time I saw him, when he, he uh, his first show, Scorching the Earth. I'll never forget it. I was in the audience and he talked about his breakup with his first wife, who I knew. And he said such intimate things that I was embarrassed myself. Mm. I felt embarrassed. And I was like, how does anyone have the nerve to go and do that? People loved it because they relate to it. But if it takes a lot of courage to get out on stage and expose yourself. I don't do that. I talk about things that yeah, spike Pee-wee me Herman funny. Yeah, Pee Herman found that out the hard way. Yeah, well, they yeah. expose themselves a little too much. But yeah, I talk about things that strike me funny that everybody laughs at. I don't like anything divisive. These days, first of all, you have to be so careful what you say. You say anything at all. There are people sitting home right now who are trying to figure out what to be offended by. Right. Oh, don't They cannot figure it out. They're, they're, they're going to stay up all night till they could figure out what to be offended by. But so w- when you're performing, Democrats, Republicans, non-political, anybody can enjoy your show. I perform tonight, everybody. And I talk about, I say, well, the, there's a very diverse audience, but we're all the same. You know, we, we share similar traits in common. One of the things we share in common is that we tend to exaggerate. Think about how many times have you gotten that call from a friend who tells you he was almost killed, but he wasn't even hurt, right? (laughs) Almost killed. He has the nerve to say he was almost killed, doesn't have a scratch on him. And they all have some weird story, and it all ends the same way. And one more inch, and I would have been killed. And I'm like, what are you exaggerating? If you're going to tell people you're almost killed, at least have the decency to be severely injured. That's right. That's right. right. (laughs) Or else it diminishes the severity of the story, right? So I talk about things like that. Things that people can relate to that strike me funny. I talk about ripped jeans. 
Ripped jeans are just torn pants, Frank. Right. That's I, I've all. seen that. But yeah. torn pants doesn't sound cool. You know, it's so funny. My yeah. wife has, a, I think, a couple of pairs of these of these torn dungarees, R- right? Ripped jeans. And the yeah. knees are, are torn, That's and right. it's intentional, right? But what's the message? Well, but So I will sometimes, when she's wearing them, I'll poke at the hole, at the hole right. and she'll yell at me. She says, you're going to rip them. I said, right. they're Rachel, already ripped. They're already ripped. <laughs> they're already ripped. If anything, I'm going to improve upon them. Exactly. I'll, I'll rip them more. They think of how much they'll go for if they're ripped more. And the more ripped they are, the more expensive yeah, they are. It's amazing. I, I saw a girl last week just wearing pockets, Frank. <laughs> That's all that was left. Both legs were completely gone, just pocket a thousand dollars a thousand dollars right jeffrey i do have to ask you on uh, a very on a sad note one of the most iconic uh, sitcoms in history is uh, is three's company and an integral part of that show particularly early on was uh, was suzanne, suzanne summers, summers. Uh, yeah, today would have yeah. been her birthday unfortunately she passed away yesterday at the age of 76 77. Due, uh, due to uh, breast cancer did you know suzanne summers at all no, but I read her story. They said she had been fighting it for 23 years. Mm. And she always talked about how often she had sex with her husband. Right. Several times a day. I just read a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. I he- Maybe that's what happened to her. I don't know. <laughs> but I wouldn't make jokes about something as serious as someone passing away. But I just found it odd. That was their main thing. They always re- wrote about how often they got together. And he wrote a beautiful poem about her just yesterday. Yeah, they seem very much yeah. in love. And yes. uh, you know a lot of Hollywood couples, probably a lot more than I do. And the entertainment-based couples, they don't necessarily tend to be long-lasting, long-lasting. in the relationship it's very department. Rare. You know why ego is a very strange thing? Uh, fame is a heavy drug. I've known many big stars, and I won't mention any names, but a, lo- a lot of them are just insane. I think it's hard to handle fame when people give you everything that you want. Nobody says no to you, and you know that you're just a regular human being. Well, so, again, not mentioning any names, when you talk about a lot of these folks that are just insane, do you think that insane people go into performing and show business, or does performing and show business make you insane? I think it's the second. I think they have to have a little bit of it before. But when people cater to you all the time and they're at your whim, it's a very strange thing. I've experienced it to a tiny, tiny degree because I'm not on that level at all. But when people want to do whatever it is that you want, nobody says no to you. And you know in your own mind that you're just a regular person. And people, you know, in this country, we don't have royalty. Our show business people are our royalty. Mm -hmm. And they get treated that way. And I've seen it. I mean, just some people just act very, very strange. It, it's, that's uh, that's it for sure. It doesn't fall within the quote of uh, normalcy. I mentioned uh, my trip to Long Island this weekend. You mentioned that you had just performed uh, tonight or a few hours ago. Yeah. Um, you are doing something in Long Island on Saturday. It's coming up this coming Saturday. Yeah, what are you doing? Well, in uh, Sag Harbor. They're calling it the Ha Ha Comedy Festival. Sounds funny already. A fellow named Paul Anthony, who who produces a lot of festivals, is doing this special festival, and I'm, I guess I could say it, I'm the surprise guest. Oh, well, should you really be outing yourself uh, I six guess. days before well, No, you're... I told him I was coming on, and I was okay. going to talk about it. It's at the Sag, uh, it's in Sag Harbor at the Bay Street Theater, and it holds about 400 people, and uh, it's going to be amazing. I was there for another event recently. It's a beautiful theater. Sag Harbor is a beautiful little town. 
I've been to Sag Harbor. I've not been to this theater. I'm told it's great, though. So it's at the Bay Street Theater uh, this coming Saturday. If people want to get tickets, they can go to baystreet.org. Simple as that, baystreet.org, this coming Saturday in Sag Harbor. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, October 21st, 8 o'clock show. Come say hi. As a matter of fact, the last show that we did where we gave away tickets in Southampton, if you remember, I was was at the opening act on uh, for Sticks and Stones, the club, the, some of the listeners from your show came, and we had a great time Wonderful. together. They great. came over to say hi, and we had a lot of laughs, and it was great. Wonderful. If you are a listener and you see Jeffrey on Saturday, don't heckle. We don't want any of our no, listeners never, responsible no. for heckling. <laughs> but come say hi after the show. <laughs> now, Jeffrey, you're yeah. obviously Jewish, right? Yes. And, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot, obviously. A lot of Jewish <laughs> – oh, no, only because you've yeah. talked about it before. Yeah. A lot of Jewish uh, comedic personalities – have involved Judaism in their performance. My, my favorite and the one that most immediately comes to mind is Mel Brooks, but also people like Woody Allen and many other. Uh, going back to the, the the heyday of the Borscht Belt, going back to the forties, the fifties, they make Judaism central to their identity. And uh, Jackie Mason, I think that was his, the, the ultimate, of the his ultimate, act. right? Yeah, um, he and, was a good friend of mine. And yeah. a lot of folks, a lot of Gentiles, wonder. The the proper line between um, laughing at someone, laughing with someone versus laughing at someone that is not necessarily your persuasion, you know, whether it's Jewish or whether you took a black, white, if it's a Chris Rock situation. I wanted to run this by you because I'm a big fan of the TV show Seinfeld. I know you probably know Jerry. Yeah, sure, I know but Jerry did you for like, many years did you, before you, he was famous. I'm sure. <laughs> but did you like the show itself? Yeah, too? sure. It was very clever, of course. Because I know some comics, they weren't as crazy about it because they feel like they lived it, kind of. And it, it didn't necessarily strike them this with the same sort of humor that it did me. But I wanted to ask you about this. Because I was at a bris last weekend and I just happened to read this uh, article in, I don't remember where I came across it, but there's a wonderful episode of Seinfeld. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was very funny. And it has to do with a bris and the moil. Here's a little bit of the moil who had a lot of scenes in this particular episode giving Elaine a bit of a lecture on where she puts a glass on a table. Yeah. <laughs> Darling, you see where that glass is? You see how that glass is near the edge of the table? You've got the whole table there to put the glass. Why you chose the absolute edge. So half the glass is hanging off the table. You breathe and that glass falls over. And then you got broken glass on the carpet. Embedded in the carpet fibers, deep, deep in the shag. Broken glass, bits of broken glass. You can never get up. You can't get it up with a vacuum cleaner. Even on your hands and knees with a magnifying glass, you'll never get all the pieces. And then you think you got it all. And then one day, two years later, you're walking barefoot, you step on a piece of broken glass and you kill yourself. Is that what you want? I don't think that's what you want, is it? Do you, huh? recommended so meaning the moil <laughs> the moil that, right. that episode that's a tough job by the well, way <laughs> yeah um that episode which is called the bris it aired 30 years ago yesterday so a uh-huh. lot of folks are looking back at it and one of the things that i had no idea about and i consider myself a little bit of a uh, a seinfeldian scholar not a talmudic scholar but a seinfeldian scholar is that apparently jason alexander who is jewish 
had a big problem with that episode. Here's an interview that he did about 10 years ago on the 20th anniversary of that episode discussing some of his issues. And I want you to kind of make a ruling as a comic and as someone who's Jewish what your view is of the appropriateness of the Moyle in that episode. The other episode was um, an episode called The Briss. The version of it that came to the table the character of the Moyle was disgusting. Um, I think it remains disgusting in the show that we did, but it was, you got to go a long way to hit my Jew button. I give you Jews are funny and you can be really sacrilegious with me and I'll take every Jew joke you got, even the borderline offensive ones. To a non-Jew, the whole practice of the circumcision, the bris, is mysterious and kind of distasteful. And to present the figure of the moil, the person who goes, I'm going to be the guy. My life's work is going to be to remove the foreskin from the genitals of young Jewish boys. That's what I devote my life to, is already a person of questionable character to the non-Jew. And to make one who is a child-hating, self-loathing, foul-mouthed, incompetent, to me was um, anti-Semitic in a hurtful way. And I went to Larry and I went, I won't be in this episode. This one you have to take me out of. I, I have to boycott this. And I said, you, you, listen, I, I, exactly what I said to you. I'm, I'm up for every Jew joke you've got. This is, this is an offense. And he didn't see it at first. And then he said, I'm, I'm going to soften it. I'm going to soften it. And I went, okay. And I still think it was, um, I, I'm not proud of that episode at all. I'm not proud of that portrayal. Um, and I don't think it was a particularly good element in an otherwise pretty good episode. But those are the only two. I got to tell you, I was absolutely shocked to hear his criticism of that. Now, when he explains it, it makes perfect sense. But what do you think as a comic, as a guy that's done some writing, as someone who's Jewish? What do you make of that portrayal of the Moyle as sort of this neurotic uh, guy that is sort of incompetent? And what do you make of what Jason Alexander said there? He explained it really well. I have a feeling that it had more to do with watching the episode. Hearing it is different. Mm -hmm. I think that that more went on on the set because the way he described him, you know, stereotypes – I, like first of all, I hate stereotypes. I I love breaking down stereotypes. I hate when people think they can look at you and know all about you just by looking at you. Uh, when he said that he that he can take any kind of Jewish joke, I believe him, and I have a feeling that there was something about the way that character was portrayed that was over the top. So I can understand being defensive. What you said, you know, years ago, all comedians were Jewish. Right. Even if you weren't Jewish, if you were a comic, you were like part of the tribe. You know, you know. I used to hear it's a very interesting thing. I I used to hear from a lot of Italians that did not like The Sopranos. They found that was stereotypical and uh, reinforced a lot of negative stereotypes, namely the Italian gangster kind of thing. But one of the things that people that were affiliated with the show mentioned, and I've asked them all about this, one of the things they all mentioned is that everyone that made the show, all the actors, a lot of the writers, a lot of the production people, they were all Italian. 
Does it change your perception or should it change anyone's perception that the people that wrote that episode were Jewish, Larry David and Jerry Exactly. Seinfeld. I was going to say that, too. And as far as the Italian thing, I don't know if you know, there was a, a very famous play called Six Goombas and a Wannabe. Yes, yes. I, I was the I wannabe. Right. Did you, do you know Vince Gagliarmella? I know who he is. I don't you know, know him He was Vincent yes. Gardinia's nephew, mm-hmm. the very famous Italian actor. And uh, before it went to Broadway, I was the wannabe because all my friends were Italian. There's nobody closer than Italians and Jews. That's right. Oh, you that's know for that. sure. Yeah, you know absolutely. that. And, yeah. I mean, we have so much similarities of the things we like and the way we treat our families and our children and all, you know. Um, there's a segment of every population that's true. Not all stereotypes are completely wrong. There are some truth in all stereotypes. You know, I was friends with the whole cast of The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful show. I loved the show. So did I. And, 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 you know, you interview people like that right. on, on your show all Absolutely. the time. How you do that is amazing to me, by <laughs> well, the way. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Uh, Jeffrey yeah. Gurian is here. You could see him on Saturday at the Ha Ha Festival. He is the surprise guest. Don't tell anyone. Shh. If, you, that if you're going, don't tell anyone he's going to be there, but you can get tickets at baystreet.org. It's baystreet.org. If you have questions about anything we're talking about, uh, we've got a lot more to get to. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight, comedy writer, stand-up comic, host, author, producer, director, former dentist, and evidently this is his theme song. Jeffrey, why is this your theme song, Jump Around? You know, it started years ago when I was on Sirius XM because I jump around. I go to every comedy Uh club because, you know, not only do I do the things that you mentioned, but I'm a comedy journalist and I write about what's going on in the comedy scene. So in order to do that, I go to every club, like just about every night. And I jump around. And so Ron Bennington, you know, picked up on it and they started playing that. I and love that became it. my I theme love song. It. That's outstanding. And he'd say, when you hear that song, you know, Jeffrey Gurian's in the house. Uh, indeed. And the, that's our cue. Hey, uh, you caught a uh, special screening about Ernie Kovacs recently. Now, I didn't realize, because I, I never really saw Ernie Kovacs perform uh, until after he was already gone. I did not realize that he passed away in 1962. And I think it's a says, car accident. Uh, yeah, it says a lot about his work that it's lived on for 60 plus years since then. For people that have been born since 1962, who's Ernie Kovacs? He's, uh, he was the precursor to Eric Andre. Your young audience will know how crazy mm-hmm. Eric Andre is. The, is. He's got the craziest show on TV. Ernie Kovacs was doing that 50 years ago 
unbelievable what he did. And his wife was Edie Adams. Now, I get interesting contacts on social media because I'm out there. I'm all over right. social media. Ernie Kovacs was married to Edie Adams. Edie Adams had a son, Josh Mills, and he wrote to me and he invited me to this Ernie Kovacs thing. He never, I had never met him. But he said he knew of me and he wanted to invite me because he thought I would enjoy it. And I went last night. And who is the moderator? Alan Zweibel. Oh, really? Know Alan Zweibel. Of course I do. So Alan Zweibel gave me my start in comedy when he was up at Saturday Night Live. I brought my earliest films up there and Alan saw them. And I had uh, – they were very crazy films. I don't know if I ever told you about them. Like several men were arrested for smearing cream cheese on the ankles of elderly <laughs> women who wore their stockings rolled down like bagels. You ever see the old women with the stockings yes, around yes, their ankles? It looked like bagels to me. So I got my dear grandmother who had such a great sense of humor. She made believe she had a Jewish accent and she said, you know, in the Jewish religion we have two kinds of stockings, one for milk and one for meat. She goes, and this crazy man, he smeared cream cheese on my meat stockings and I can't get it off. And I zoomed in with my Super 8 camera on her ankles. I brought it to Saturday Night Live Alan Zweibel said to this day he can't get that image out of his mind. I love it. I <laughs> love cream it. cheese on the ankles. So we went last night and uh, it was a fantastic – it was a documentary about, er, about Ernie Kovacs who did the craziest things 50 years ago. Very special effects. Nobody was doing that in television in those days. They were amazed at the things that he could do. And then he would have stuff like the Nairobi Trio, three men in gorilla suits – who would play music like on a xylophone. He just had a lot of very wild stuff. And I was a little kid, and I loved it. A lot of times, even if the subject is great, a lot of times the documentary can just be okay. But this was a documentary that was worth seeing. They compiled a lot of his special. It wasn't like a straight documentary. They compiled some of his best stuff from all of his shows. Can, can regular people see it, or you got to be invited to a VIP screening? Like I don't you? know if they should. It was at the Anthology Film Archives huh. on Second and Second, but there's a book. Uh, Josh Mills wrote a book about it, and this girl that I was with bought me a copy. Isn't that nice? That is nice. Most girls don't do that. That is nice. It was very nice. I, I, but if people get the opportunity to see it, they should. And you know what kind of car. Ernie Kovacs was driving when he got into that car accident. I did yesterday, but I forgot. He, he crashed it into a tree. Well, what kind it, of car well, was it? A regular guest of ours would be the first one to remind you. That's Ralph Nader, Chevy Corvair. Oh, really? Unsafe at any speed. Unsafe mm. at any speed. It that's was what for he him, said. for sure. That is for sure. All right, 800-848-9222. But Ernie Kovacs, the interesting thing about him is they say he really inspired the next six decades of comedy. Well, like the Steve Allen? Conan O'Brien was doing, you know. Uh, no, but even way before, Steve Allen used to do a lot of crazy stuff, too, if you remember. Oh, Steve no Allen. doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Wasn't Ernie Kovacs also briefly the host of The Tonight Show when I had, they had a bunch of these rotating hosts after Steve Allen yes, left? Yes, I believe that he was, yeah. yeah. And, 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 he, and he had, a, well, he had his own show for, for right. several seasons. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yes, he was a host on The Tonight Show as well. All right. Joe in Queens has a question for you. Uh, you're on with uh, Jeffrey yeah, Gurian, Joe. I have a question. Yeah. A two-part question. One is, do you draw, like, say, when you're starting out writing comedy, do you think in terms of broad or general categories or you try and pick up something specific? And uh, did you think The Three Stooges was really – that didn't totally resonate with me, that type of humor. Well, uh, it was silly. You... It was silly for its day. 
I liked some of them, you know, and, and it's funny that you mentioned them because there was an article that just came out yesterday about the tragic lives that they led, mm-hmm. the three students. I did see that, actually. Yeah, and I tried to read it, but it said I had ad blockers, and it wouldn't show me the whole That's article. The but I started reading it, and, and it just happened to be about the, the three stooges. There were four of them, though. You know, well, um, Shemp, right? Shemp, yeah, yeah Shemp. But in, in terms of your question about whether I look for general things— it depends on who I'm writing for. If I'm writing for myself, I just write about things that strike me funny. Like I said, ripped jeans. Everybody sees them. To me, they look like torn pants. Mm-hmm. So I would write about something like that, you know? Um, but if, a, if, like when I wrote for Joan Rivers, she asked me to write about dating older men. When you're writing for a very experienced comedian, they know what they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So they'll give you a category and they'll say, write jokes about this. And I wrote her this joke once. I said, I, she, she was, I was dating this guy who was so old, the only thing firm about him was his cane. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. So, you know, I love writing one-liners. One-liners was the best. When I wrote for Rodney Dangerfield, that was so fun because his whole thing was one-liners. You know, and thanks for the call, Joe. Those types of jokes where, you know, uh, you talk about I was dating someone so old and then everyone says, how old were they? Or, right. you know, <laughs> Like Johnny Carson. W- do what that. do you call that family of jokes? Everyone knows what a knock-knock joke is. Everyone one-liners. knows what a Polish joke is. But, one, you but, call them one-liners. But they're not. Yeah. They're kind of degree of severity jokes. He was so old and then you could keep going forever. Well, nobody how old does that on stage. Right. Johnny Carson used to do that on the Tonight Show. How old was he? Right. How fat was right. he? Right, right, right. You can't even do that anymore yeah, you'd be no, accused of fat shaming but, but that doesn't yeah. have a family of uh, you know a a category of jokes that those types of jokes not that i know of i would refer it to was them so as, hot you know and then well, everybody shuts how, you know how, there how, are jokes they call bar jokes two guys walk into a bar right. and they say well, who wrote those like they the, used to say prisoners wrote those jokes right but so and i never heard anybody give it a name yeah there are polish jokes there are bar jokes there's knock-knock jokes right. i never i always and i've looked i've never heard a category of joke for uh, the type it's probably uh, that how I'm mentioning. fat was she joke <laughs> that's the, that's the kind that's the kind of category you could create for that hey you're starring in a uh, a new short film uh, you know that has apparently a kind of a Woody Allenish uh, type feel to it what's this film what's the big deal about this yeah it's another interesting thing that i get i get a message this girl noel leon so she's based in la she's an influencer She's got just about a million views, a million followers on Instagram. She's on all the social media. She's a stand-up comedian. And she wrote to me and she goes, I'm coming to New York. Would you be interested in being in a film I'm doing? And her last film got millions and millions of views. So I said, of course. So, And she knew about my fascination with Woody Allen. There's a lot about me online, so people must read about it. Like this guy who contacted me tonight, he's got 7 million subscribers on YouTube and he wants to do stand-up comedy. I'm like, absolutely. And when you come to New York, let me know. So she came to New York and she showed me this script and we started filming it in Central Park, a very Woody Allen-ish kind of thing. And it was Woody that read my earliest material. He was my inspiration in comedy when he used to do stand-up on The Tonight Show. I mean, with Ed Sullivan. He did a joke, I'll never forget. He said, I was walking down the street and a maniac threw a Bible out of a window. And if I hadn't had a bullet in my breast pocket, the Bible would have pierced my heart. (laughs) (laughs) The bullet saved his life. I remember that joke since I'm a kid. 
Woody was was my inspiration and my idol, and I got to meet him, and it's a long story, but he read all my earliest material and told me it was very visual. So when she contacted me, I said, yes, I definitely want to do this. It's a story about a very unlikely friendship. This young, beautiful girl and I walk in the park every day, and we just keep seeing each other, but we never speak. And then something magical happens. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but uh, something magical happens. Can people see this? Well, no, we're we're, we're shooting it right now. now. Okay, all right, so you'll have to come back. We'll be filming next week uh, when she comes back from L.A. She just left yesterday, and she'll be back, and we're going to do more All right, well, you've got to keep us posted on that. That sounds pretty interesting. It's really nice. And then at the end of November, I'm the official interviewer at the Vermont Comedy Festival, I'll be performing there too. I'll be doing a special do presentation. Syrup jokes up there <laughs> yeah. in Vermont. Yeah, I've never been to Vermont. You ever been up? No, there? no. I've it's supposed to, go to be beautiful. Ever, I've heard nothing but good things. Um, you know, Joe mentioned your process, right? Of, of of writing and crafting your act when you perform, like like you just did a couple of hours ago. How much, if uh, people come see you, and let us behind the curtain a little bit, how much is your regular routine, and then how much changes from performance to performance? That's an interesting question. First, I don't do crowd work. I don't do, where are you from, sir? Uh I I don't care where people are from. (laughs) I want them to laugh. To me, that's not particularly funny, playing off the audience. Some people do it. If you're the host of a show... People start out doing that to get the audience involved, to warm people up. Right, I get that. I think I've done that. I yeah. just warm I just warn the audience. I say this is the most dangerous part of the show. This is the part of the show where I try to tell jokes to people who are not drunk yet. <laughs> That's what I do. I warn them first, you know? But I don't really do crowd work. So I can change. It depends on how many minutes I get also. If I get a 15-minute spot, I know that there is more things that I can do. I bring a set list with me. Most comedians, are you familiar with the concept of a set list? I, I mean, I don't think uh, so. Well, I have one in my wallet. If I grab it, I'll show it to you. It's, a, it's an index card, and you write down the topics that you're gotcha, going to discuss. Gotcha. And then you have to alter it once you're on stage because when you get the red light, Sometimes you only have two minutes. Well, I mean, I do that every every day for four hours. I have a certain <laughs> amount of things that I want to get to, right. and then you get to it, you don't get to it. Right, and then the you t- have to, and, and so what you do, look, you're improv, we're improv. Mm-hmm. It's one of the hardest things in the world. When I'm on the red carpet and I'm doing interviews with celebrities, you're improving. There's no way to prepare. I just posted one on my Instagram with Jim Carrey that people are loving because we had such an intimate conversation within just a few minutes because when it's a big celebrity like that, their publicists are pulling them away because everybody wants to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And you have to be saying something really interesting to get their attention. And he was riveted. We just had this amazing conversation, very existential. So where can people see that? ComedyMatters.tv? Or? Well, no, ComedyMattersTV.com, but also on my Instagram, which is at Jeffrey Gurian, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. You know how many people misspell Jeffrey these days? J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. G-U-R-I-A-N, as in Nancy, yeah. on Instagram. Well, good for you for taking it back. I respect that. Hey, uh, Jeffrey, we're uh, broadcasting today on uh, KMOX in St. Louis, one of the biggest radio stations in America. You know anything about St. Louis? Know any St. Louis jokes? I wish I did. Yeah. I don't know any St. Louis. <laughs> Do you know any St. Louis? I Who don't. knows St. Louis I jokes? Don't. The <laughs> only thing uh, funny about St. Louis is the way they slice their bagels. They bread slice them. They slice them you vertically. Really? Yeah, vertically? I was shocked. It's I a real this. thing, apparently. <laughs> It's really wild. 800-848-9222. Mark is uh, listening on WCBM in Baltimore. Hello, Mark. 
Hey, I got I got three questions. Uh, the first one, I want to know about money jokes. You know, what is your funniest thing about money? Um, and then your best jokes, do they just snap like in a second where you think about it and you got them? What do, what do you think, uh, Jeffrey? I, I know that guy. He's a bit I, of a joker himself. Yeah, I, don't yeah. know, I don't have any money jokes. <laughs> it's interesting that people think that you would have jokes on every category that they could mention. I don't, there's nothing funny really about money. But I didn't get the second question. Do you yeah, remember what he is? No, he's, he's, no. he's kind of a clown. I, okay. I know that fella. Um, okay. right, we're going to continue with Jeffrey Gurian in a moment. And um, fortunately for you, Jeffrey is the author of a lot of great books, including Man Robs Bank with His Chin. And there's a lot of stories that are big stories, important stories in the news, but they didn't exactly make the front pages. Jeffrey has compiled a bunch of them, and he's going to bring one or two to our attention in just a minute, and we'll try and squeeze in some more of your questions as well. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We have our happiness doctor and our happiness expert in studio. He is actually a doctor of the dentistry variety, but uh, for the last few decades, he has done his utmost to make people smile, not by improving their smiles, but by improving their sense of humor. The one and only Jeffrey Gurian. Jeffrey Gurian has written many books and uh, has done a lot of other interesting things but you really should check him out at comedymatterstv.com it's a window into all things jeffrey gurian you can see some of the great interviews that he's done there are links to uh, a lot of other videos on there a little bit about his biography it's a and you can get in contact with jeffrey if you want to bring anything to his attention it's comedymatterstv.com jeffrey before we get to very interesting stories from man robs bank with his chin a couple of people very eager to chat with you based on what we've said so far let me say hello first to charles in queens hello charles hi good morning frank good morning jeffrey good morning i want to compliment jeffrey uh i like your sense of humor you sound very funny thank you very much um you're very welcome uh you were talking about jews and italians i happen to be orthodox jewish and i was once this funny story I met an Italian. At, I was in, I was about twenty two, twenty three in a hotel for Passover, a kosher hotel, and I became friendly with the waiter who was Italian. So we became friends. We were about the same age, and then I was telling him some jokes about with a Jew 
was the butt of the joke. Then I figured I'll take the liberty of telling him an Italian joke. And I said to him, what is the difference between a Jewish actuary and an Italian actuary? He says, I don't know what. I said, the Jewish actuary tells you how many people are going to die next year. The Italian actuary tells you who. He went <laughs> his eyes were burning. First I said about three or four jokes at my expense, Jewish expense. He wanted to kill me. He was, those days, that's about 50 years ago or so. And those days, Italians were very sensitive about every, every Italian is a mafioso. I, I think it's less so now. Am I right? I don't think that's that sensitive. Maybe they are, but Sopranos, I don't know. I don't know, but I have a question for you. Do you know my rabbi, Shmari Garari? That's Lubavitch, isn't it? He's a Chabad rabbi in Brooklyn. Everybody seems to know him. Yeah, everybody seems to know him. All those guys that stop you in the street and ask you if you're Jewish, they want to put Svillin on, I always ask them, and they all know Shmari Garari. If you say you're not Jewish, They'll say, do you know anybody in the neighborhood that's Jewish? Right. Uh, <laughs> right. They do great work. Charles, very, I graduated uh, the Chabad Yeshiva. They're very uh, very dedicated and very sincere, and very, they love every single brave. Jew. They love non-Jews, too. But they're very, uh, really, very kind and wonderful people. Very, Charles, very uh, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Jeffrey, for people who have not heard our previous discussions, well, what is this book, Man Robs Bank with His Chin? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> see, I'm fascinated by stories that are missed by mainstream media. Same. And nobody knows if people are telling the truth on right. the news. I like uplifting stories. So one of the stories, so it's called Man Robs Bank with His Chin and other unusual stories missed by mainstream media with blurbs from Richard Lewis from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He wrote these hilarious stories and the author's longtime reputation as a top comedian makes you wonder why he isn't selling out clubs in North Korea. <laughs> he's talking and about you. He's talking yeah, about me. Gotcha. And so this story is George Washington wore wooden pants. Now, a lot of people think that George Washington had wooden teeth. Sure, that's why I heard Not that. true at all. Not true. As a child, he was very poor. His father made his diapers out of bark. You're kidding. No, and the Smithsonian Institute actually has a pair of George Washington's wooden pants. Do you remember... The Amazing. famous painting when he's crossing the Delaware. Right, sure. Well, that's why he's standing up in the boat. <laughs> you can't sit down in wooden pants. I always wondered about that. That's now, the reason. Now you know the rest of the story. Now, now it makes perfect know. sense. And, and then there's a man grows turtle shell. He, it started with a small bump on his back. Like a lot of guys, they don't want to go to sure, the doctor. I'm the same way. They don't like to go to the doctor forever. His wife is telling him that bump is getting bigger. It turned into a fully grown turtle shell. My now, goodness. On a so, human? On a human. So his wife says it's hard to sleep with the guy because he sleeps on his back because of the shell and his legs go in the air like while he's sleeping. <laughs> she says he's always been shy, but now she really has to coax him out of his shell. <laughs> no, but for somebody like that, is there anything that could be done surgically for him? When, it, when the shell was smaller, but now it's fully and it, 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 it covers his whole body. Oh. So he said, you know... But he, he said the main problem is his suits don't fit right because most designers don't make a jacket to fit over a shell. I, I, I can understand that. I can understand that. That's, that's rough. And then there's High Roller wears mustache out of gold. Laszlo Chips Matouche is his name, came into this casino wearing a solid gold mustache. 
Hell's I Gym heard plays. about this guy. This was in Atlantic City. Yeah, in yeah, Atlantic yeah. City. And the glare from his mustache damaged people's eyesight. I, That's how highly polished it was. See, uh, that guy is a menace. He's got to do a something menace. about that exactly. mustache. So hey. people who like these stories, you could find it in Man Rob's Bank with His Chin. It's on Amazon. If you like interesting, bizarre stories, you'll have enough of them in this book. All right. Search Gurian, G-U-R-I-A-N. Jeffrey with a J, not a G. Uh, Jeffrey Gurian. Marie is in Flanders. Hello, Marie. Hi, everybody. Jeffrey, we're going to come see you now at Sag Harbor, my husband and I. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's so great. And I I know Flanders. I've been to Flanders. I know. And, And you tried to ask us if you could go to this house for a little while during the intermission, we honestly said, you can't do it, you won't make it. But real quick, two quick things for you, Frank, and for Mr. Jeffrey. Um, the book and Candle, excellent movie. I've seen it 50 times at least. Wait, what, what, what film? It's a very old movie, Bell, Book, and oh, Candle. Oh, Bell, Book, and Candle. Got it, I've, I've heard of it. at least 50 times, at least 50 times. But today's my husband's 67th birthday, Gordon. Happy and birthday. It's also, and it's also Suzanne Summers. Yeah, I, I mentioned that. Uh, that is sad. I know you did. Yeah, happy birthday to uh, to your husband. Uh, I hope you guys are doing something fun today. Yeah, we're going to go out to lunch after I, I work out to school with the kids. All right, well, it. it sounds sounds it. like a plan to me. Thank you, Marie. But one quick one quick joke, and I'm going to go. One okay. quick joke, All it's right. quick. And my husband invented this joke or wrote it. When somebody tells you, try this, guys, you got to really try this. When somebody tells you their knee hurts you be sympathetic you say oh i'm sorry to hear that but is it your left knee or your hind knee <laughs> well I, you know i can promise you this marie i don't think um you, that joke is in danger of being stolen by your husband i, I think he's going to be just fine with the ownership of that joke marie thank you happy birthday to your husband hopefully he can wish for better writers uh jeffrey gurian it is always a treat to have you thank you <laughs> It's my treat to be here with you, Frank. Thanks so much for having me on. It's Uh, always a blast. People can learn more about Jeffrey at uh, ComedyMattersTV.com. You can also check out all of his books on Amazon, including Man Robs Bank with His Chin. Next hour, we're going to get into some more serious pursuits, including the foreign policy scene with Dan Kavalik. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.